Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I am not joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. We have been traveling quite a lot for the holiday season, so that is actually part of the reason this episode is coming out so late to you. Apologies for that. We are, or I am recording this uh, the evening of January 3rd, Wednesday, hoping to have this back into your feed Thursday morning. Apologies again for the late breakdown, but I am here alone to break down the Packers 33-10 to victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, a win and stay alive type scenario for the Packers. They will need to win next week, but thanks to a loss from the Seahawks, a win by the Steelers over the Seahawks, the Packers now control their own destiny. They are able to win next week against the Bears in week 18. In Lambeau Field, if they win that game, they are into the playoffs. Stop me if you've heard this one before. It is a bit similar to last year. We're going to not talk about how that game went last year, although we will be talking to you a bit. When my dad returns to this podcast, he is actually traveling right now. That is why he was not able to join me for this recording. But we are still going to get that pregame into your feed, hopefully in a much more timely manner for that pregame. And it will be both me and my dad. You will not be stuck with just me for that one, thankfully for your poor ears. His voice is much better for podcasting my voice my face is better for tv as i would say i'm going to say that while he's not there to refute while he's not here to refute it but yes like i said packers win 33 to 10 on new year's eve very exciting uh very good game lots to talk about here break down some really awesome performances maybe some not so good performances talk about you know what stood out from this game what didn't stand out some things that might have flown under the radar but before we get into that just wanted to pitch a couple of things if you like what you hear today i know it won't necessarily be what you're used to normally it will be both me and my dad riffing back and forth but come give us a follow on twitter at father son packer we tweet out when we have new episodes out stats that we find when we're researching for these episodes articles we find interesting pieces of video content we find interesting pieces of packers news in terms of roster moves injury reports pretty much one-stop shop for everything title town and then come subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify we even put all our episodes out on youtube as well so if you want to come check us out there it would really help our numbers but anyway let's get into talking about this game and unfortunately let's start with the injury updates uh always got to start with the bad news so we can end with some of the good news in this game the packers had several players leave the field I'm just going to run through them really quick. Isaiah McDuffie left and was put into concussion protocol. Now, it looked a lot worse when it happened. I would have to say uh, it looked like his neck got bent up all funny, but he was able to uh, get off the field with some help from the trainers. Uh, and according to Tom Silverstein on Twitter, uh, he was off to the side in practice today on an exercise bike. So that is at least some good sign that he, you know he's able to do some physical activity. Uh, he has been very important for the Packers uh, in terms of when Campbell has been missing. He's actually filled in quite well, I would say. Eric Wilson didn't play great in this game. It's not really his fault. He's being thrust into a role that wasn't really designed for him. He's an excellent special teamer, but not the best middle linebacker at this stage in his career. Uh, so yeah, they I think they clearly missed McDuffie in this game and coming up for this next game. And we'll talk about this in the, the pregame pod that we'll record later this week for this Bears game. But I think if Campbell is once again not able to go, I think it would be really tough if McDuffie was also not able to go, considering the amount that Justin Fields and Roshan Johnson and Khalil Herbert are able to get to the outside in that run game. And being down a linebacker to chase those guys to the edge is, could be problematic, in my opinion. 
Beyond that, Jaden Reed had an excellent game, but then was forced to leave uh, at around halftime with a chest injury. Um, they took him for x-rays, which were negative. They got some additional scans, which were negative. He actually said he wanted to go back in this game. Uh, more power to him, but he did not return in this one. However, he was back practicing on Wednesday, according to reports. So there is at least that good news. Uh, it doesn't seem like... It seems like he should possibly be able to go in this upcoming game, and they're really going to need him because, I mean, he's just been excellent. He broke the Packers rookie uh, receptions record in terms of uh, most rece- most receptions in a rookie season, uh, which is very impressive. Broke Sterling Sharp's record. Uh, beyond that, A.J. Dillon picked up a stinger in this one uh, and was not practicing on Wednesday. So that is one to keep an eye on. Uh, Packers could be down a running back in this one. Uh, we're just going to have to keep an eye on that injury report. Preston Smith rolled his ankle in this one, but did come back. However, he did not practice today either this Wednesday. So another one to keep in mind. We're going to talk about him later. He was having an excellent game. He was able to come back with a heavily taped ankle, they said uh, on the broadcast. But definitely one to keep in mind because he's been turning it on recently. Um, Josh Myers picked up an injury late, and so did Elton Jenkins. He got rolled up on. Uh, Myers was limited in practice, and Elton was not practicing, although we have seen them give him some rest days going uh, on this season. So could just be one of those, but definitely one to keep an eye on because he got rolled up on, stayed in one extra play, and then you know asked to be subbed out, essentially. And then they made a few other offensive line subs as well. And then Samori Toure, not the best game for him. Uh, had that muffed punt. Uh, has kind of struggled this year to maintain his spot in the wide receiver pecking order. He was actually placed on IR on Monday, effectively ending his season. Uh, The corresponding roster moves for that one, uh, Bo Melton, who we'll talk about, very impressive in this game, but he was actually signed to the 53-man roster, so he is officially on the roster. No longer on the practice squad. He was out of elevations anyways. They had used up his last one in this game, and thank goodness they did. Um, The Packers also made a couple of practice squad moves. Uh, adding uh, back corner Anthony Johnson to the practice squad. Not the same Anthony Johnson Jr. who has been on the roster this season, but uh, Anthony Johnson, the corner, who had actually been on the practice squad previously and then was signed back again just now. And then they also signed safety Tyler Coyle to the practice squad as well. So those are all the kind of news and notes from this game or from this game and from this past few days. Uh, Jair Alexander was also activated off the suspended list. So he is back on the roster. My dad and I will talk a little bit about that uh, when we do our preview. He actually had an availability today that I'm going to wait to talk about till my dad is back because I want to bounce some things off of him. But I thought a very good availability just in my brief viewing of it. And I haven't yet bounced those ideas off my dad yet. But, you know, I think I think it seems like he he gets it is, I guess, how I would say it. But moving on to this game. A very good one from the Packers, starting with the biggest moment of the game in this one. Uh, and that was we do by ESPN win probability change. So we do it kind of just objectively. And that was that first touchdown pass to Jaden Reed to make the score 10 to nothing. That changed the Packers win percentage from a 62.4% chance of winning to a 73.1% chance of winning. That was a 107 if my math is correct, uh, swing in favor of the Packers. And they really never looked back after that. And so let's start talking about the Packers offense in this one, because I think that is really where the majority of the takeaways can be in this one. The Vikings, like we talked about, went with Jaron Hall as their quarterback in this one. They were hoping to get a spark and perhaps have a player that wasn't going to turn it over as much as Nick Mullins had the previous week. It 
didn't really give them the spark that maybe they were expecting. He really struggled in the first half of this game and was actually benched. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to the defense. I think most of the takeaways in this game can be taken away from the offense because the Vikings, no slouch on defense. Now, I know they've struggled the past few games uh, pretty much since that last quarter against the Bengals. You can say the last nine quarters if you include the Packers game. But the Packers really took it to him in this game. I mean, 33 points. And let's start with Jordan Love. Uh, and just to put this into context, the Vikings, one of the best defenses in the league this year. They were fifth in overall defense by DVOA and seventh against the pass. Uh, they were a very odd brand of defense in terms of super high blitz rate, the highest rate in the league per pro football reference, while also dropping uh, eight into coverage at the highest rate in the league. So very, very chaotic defense i guess is the way you can describe it high variance in terms of the number of rushers they're sending where they're sending those rushers from and often having tons of people at the line and then either dropping them back or sending a majority of them really difficult defense to play against and i think what you really take away is how well jordan love handled such a complicated defense because he and matt lafleur and adam stenovich want to give credit to everyone in this one had answers for pretty much everything that uh, Brian Flores and the Vikings defense was throwing at them in this game. Jordan Love, I mean, my goodness, what another great game for quarterback one. He was 24 of 33 for 256 yards and three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, add in a rushing touchdown where he got absolutely scorpioned. And if you don't know what that means, go watch the video and you'll be like, oh yeah, like a scorpion. His legs essentially whipped up and almost touched the back of his head like a scorpion's tail would. Looked very painful, but I guess he's made out of rubber because I would break in half if that happened to me. Uh, he was fifth on the week in EPA per play per RBSDM.com, fourth in success rate, 10th in completion percentage over expectation, but you know, still well in the positive. This is amongst quarterbacks with at least 10 dropbacks. Um, he absolutely carved up this defense. And we talked a lot about just previously and in pregame how the Vikings were really going to send a lot of extra rushers at love. Per Dusty Evely on Twitter, who is you know a great follow, by the way, at Dusty Evely, D-U-S-T-Y-E-V-E-L-Y. He's, he's awesome, does great film work, does a really good job covering the Packers positively. Uh, but Jordan Love was blitzed on 75.8% of his dropbacks. And on those blitzes, he was 18 to 25 for 200 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, my goodness, did he carve up the blitz in this one. And it's really exciting to see that because when you think about Jordan Love's very first start, it was against the Chiefs and he looked lost at times and Matt LaFleur looked lost at times in terms of giving him answers to the blitz. And Matt LaFleur had talked about, you know, not that he put a lot of that on himself in terms of not giving Jordan enough answers to the blitz. And it really seems like, you know, trial by fire in some ways this season as well, going against teams like the Giants, going against teams like Tampa, going against the teams like the Chiefs again with Steve Spagnuolo, going against the Vikings twice in this season. A lot of very aggressive teams. And it seems like the Packers, you know, they, they struggled against the Giants a bit in terms of some of those looks that Wink Martindale was throwing at them. But in this game, I mean, they could have thrown the house at him and it seemed like they had a plan for it. Um, he is, and Jordan Love, putting together a really good season. It's up to 30 passing touchdowns on the season. Uh, he is now third in the NFL in passing touchdowns behind Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy only. And, you know, they announced some of the Pro Bowl stuff today. He was not a Pro Bowler or an alternate. I think he probably deserved to be an alternate. I mean, he's he's just playing out of his mind. Over his last seven games, I believe it is, he has 16 passing touchdowns and one interception and over 1,800 yards. 
I mean, he's just been putting on a clinic for a, quite a few games running now. He looks in total total command of the offense. I mean, it's been very impressive to watch. It's been very fun to watch. I mean, we're talking about, oh, you know, reset, jump throw, 40 yards downfield, down the seam against a rotating, like a, a couple of safeties that are rotating from cover one to cover two and a Tampa two linebacker that's dropping into the into the seam and he just puts it over the linebacker into Jaden Reed's hands for a touchdown. I mean, and then we're talking about, oh, we got blitzers coming from the right. Oh, I'm just going to see that blitzer hit Malik Heath on third down, first down. Oh, we got extra pressure coming. I'm just going to fade off of one foot, throw it to Bo Melton down the down over by the right hash. Big chunk play. I mean, he just had answer after answer after answer. He was hitting guys in rhythm, in structure, out of structure, off rhythm, just all over the place. Another excellent day from Jordan Love. He was voted NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, there's not really much more to say. They, they're they going to have to work out an extension for him, regardless of how this next game goes. I mean, he's he's the guy in Green Bay right now. I mean, there's just no denying it. Beyond that, a lot of other positives for the offense. I mean, you don't have a day like Jordan Love had without some help from some other guys. Uh, the first one we've got to hi- uh, we I'm going to highlight is Bo Melton. 105 receiving yards and a touchdown from Bo Melton today. Uh, he was the Packers' first 100-yard receiver for the season, and it was Melton's first career touchdown. If you had Bo Melton as the Packers' first 100-yard receiver on the season, kudos to you because, I mean, tell me what lottery numbers to play at this point because you know something that the rest of us do not. But he looked great in this game. He had that same, you know, invisibility cloak that Kirby Joseph was wearing when he picked off Aaron Rodgers like two or three times in one game. The Vikings just lost him like three or four different times where he was just running across the middle of the field, not a soul near him. So there were several blown coverages that helped uh, lead to Melton's, uh, you know, prolific day on this day. But at the same time, you got to still make the plays. He was running nice routes. He clearly like his time speed plays on the field and very exciting Packers receiver room. And, you know, great depth. I don't know how they're going to get all these guys touches. I don't know what they're going to do going forward in terms of who gets snaps and who doesn't. But Bo Melton, man, shout out to him. And then another Packers receiver, like we already talked about, Jaden Reed had a great game before having to leave um, at halftime with that injury. Six catches on eight targets for 89 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I mean, the second touchdown. I, I don't know how someone of that stature just will not go down like that. But like I said, more power to him. He is an animal and he's playing hurt right now. He's playing through a toe injury, a chest injury that he's had the whole season. He is tough as nails. And I didn't get a chance to say it with Melton, but 105 yards on six catches on nine targets with a touchdown. Um, But yeah, Jaden Reed and Bo Melton really carved up the Vikings in this one. They looked excellent in this one. Some other stats on Bo Melton. Uh, led the team in targets with nine, uh, tied for the team lead with six receptions, um, and was second to read in share of air yards. He had three first downs. Uh, according to PFF, he produced a nearly perfect passer rating when targeted of 156.3 for the fourth best on the week amongst wide receivers with at least two targets. He was ninth in the league this week in average yards of separation, according to Next Gen Stats, with the most targets of anyone in the top 13. And then on the season, this is per Zach Cruz on Twitter, his 11 catches on the year have resulted in nine first downs and one touchdown, and he has converted five third downs. Some pretty big-time plays, some pretty impactful plays from Bo Melton. I think, you know, they might have found something with him, and 
the other exciting thing about him is he's also quite a good special teamer. So at the same time, he could be your sixth, seventh receiver and still be contributing to this team positively. He doesn't need to be a receiver only to have a positive impact on this team, which I think is also something that's very exciting about him. But yeah, Bo Melton, keep your eye on him. He's now on the Packers 53. It was really exciting seeing all of the other receivers like chant his name afterwards in the locker room pressers after the game. Romeo Dobbs was like filming his press conference with his phone. It was it was very fun to see. And he got a game ball and everyone was shouting for him. It was very exciting. Beyond that offense, we're just going to keep running with it. Offensive line had a very nice day for the most part. It was their best run block blocking grade of the season from PFF with a near uh, elite grade of 84 and a half compared to their season average of 54.6. PFF grades are not the end all be all. They're just another point of data. But I think it matched the eye test in this one because you know, just to jump over to this, Aaron Jones with 120 yards rushing for his second consecutive 120 plus yard rushing uh, game of the season, six plus yards per carry, had a success rate of 55% in his carries per RBSDM. For reference, that would be like third in the league amongst running games in terms of if you're looking at team running games. So super successful on the ground, six yards a carry, 120 yards on the ground, back-to-back 100-yard rushing games after the Packers had not had a single 100-yard rusher on the season. Seems like the Packers running game is kind of really kicking into gear right when they need it to, right near, right here at the end of the season. Uh, they're also, though, to move back to the offensive line, pretty dang good in pass blocking. Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, and uh, Rasheed Walker, all well above average by PFF pass blocking grade, and they allowed just two pressures between them. Uh, very good. Love was only pressured 11 times total on 33 dropbacks, which is really impressive considering the fact that he was blitzed on 75% of his dropbacks. You know, it talked about Love really handling the blitz well. I thought the offensive line and the running backs really handled the blitz well as well. AJ Dillon in particular, um, no, he had to leave this game with that stinger, but he had a couple of very nice blitz pickups. I thought that really helped by Love that extra time that he needed to find Melton, Reed, etc. down the field. Tucker Craft, also really nice in this game. Six catches for 48 yards on six targets. Uh, very solid day. And the the rest of the um, offensive weapons played pretty well as well. Uh, Toure struggled in this one, but more on special teams, and we'll talk about that later. Um, some negatives in this one, though, on the offensive side, if you're trying to look for something. Josh Myers really had a rough game. He had a rough go of it in this one, especially in pass pro. He had a PFF pass blocking grade of only 9 Point seven, And I know PFF grades are not the end-all be-all. Andy Herman also had a very neg- uh, pretty negative grade for him in this one. Um, shout out Andy Herman. Very, very great work over at Packaday. He's doing awesome stuff. I saw Brian Balaga shouted out his work too. So that's how you know you're doing an awesome job is when, you know, a, pa- a probably future Packers... Goodness, is Brian Balaga already in the Packers Hall of Fame? If he's not, he should be. He will be. Um, but shout out your work is, you know, you know you're doing something right. Um, but anyway... PFF pass blocking grade of only 9.7 and was credited with giving up six pressures. So we talked about Love was only pressured 11 times. Six times it was Myers getting beat. Um, that was the most on the team and the most he's given up all season. Um, the second most on the team for for reference was, you know, Rashid Walker. Um, and he was getting beat up the middle by Daniil Hunter. Uh, you could argue he's cost, uh, cost Green Bay some points in terms of, you know, Love getting the, that second drive of the game where you know, Love misses Heath as he has to reset his feet and he's getting a guy in his face. You know, I think Myers gets beaten about a half a second. And it's tough because, you know, in the middle of the year, he'd been playing really well. We had talked about how he needed to play well down the stretch here to stake a claim to that center job for next year. It just hasn't happened these past few games. And 
makes you wonder what they're going to do with that center position going forward into next year. But we'll talk about all of that in the offseason. Some things that made us think, um, Ryan and Runyon are still rotating, but Walker and Nyman are not. Nyman got a few snaps there at the end of the game when Clifford came in, uh, but it seems like they're just sticking with Walker there. Um, so makes sense. Nyman had really struggled with this rotation. And uh, yeah, and Walker's just been better. It is what it is. Nyman's probably still a better run blocker, but it hasn't been such a big gap. And he's really struggled in pass protection when he's been out there. So not surprising for them to settle on Walker. And probably for the best that, you know, they're sticking with one tackle as the season is coming to a close. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, though. Another, honestly, hat tip to Joe Barry, hat tip to the defense, because they came out there with a plan. And it is with the caveat that, you know, it it did seem like Jaron Hall was not quite ready to start an NFL game yet. Now, I'm not saying that that's the end-all be-all for him, like that he's done. Um, It's only one game. It's only a second start. And it's only, you know, he didn't even fully end the previous game he had started. He was concussed after, I think, about a quarter in that one. And then this one, they pulled him at halftime. But yeah, it, it was a rough go of it for Hall. He did not quite look ready. So with that caveat, but part of that is, I think Joe Barry had a good game plan. He sent a lot of extra rushers. We saw Quay Walker getting blitzed. We saw Keyshawn coming from the slot. Um, we saw them sending some extra guys. I would love to see Quay Walker and Keyshawn specifically get sent as pass rushers more often because I think specifically for Quay Walker, it's a skill set that he has. And I think you're doing him a disservice by not letting him go be this top tier athlete that he is and get after the passer. And the movement skills he has at his size, his ability to, you know, duck around the running back who was coming to block him through the hole and get to the quarterback was incredibly impressive. And I I would just like to see some more of it because I think it is something that they have not done enough of this year. And that's another, you know, thing that I think Joe Barry has not done a good enough job of is letting some of those players play a little more freely, but he played, he, Joe Barry coordinated a good game in this one. I would say They, they did a pretty good job. Um, so want to give him a shout out there. I don't think it's enough to save his job, but or I don't think it should be enough to save his job. We'll see if it ends up being, I, I don't, I think they should still make the change that is required, but you know, you bury him when he does bad, you gotta, you know, give him some flowers when he does a good job. And I think the defense was good in this one, namely Preston Smith had a great game. He led the team with four pressures per PFF, had a sack, also a forced fumble, uh, right at the end of the first half that you know, let the Packers go down and score an extra touchdown and make it 23 to three at half really pretty much put the game away at that point. Um, had a 90.3 PFF grade on defense and a 90.2 pass rush grade, all that against one of the best left tackles in the league in Christian Darisaw. And in both their matchups this year, Preston Smith has really given Darisaw fits. I, I don't know what Darisaw said to him. I don't know what Darisaw, you know, maybe said to him before the game, uh, said something disrespectful, but Preston Smith was out there taking it seriously. He did leave the game with that uh, ankle injury. It looked like he kind of, you know, tweaked it a little bit, came out with it, um, taped back up pretty heavily. But when he was out there and right, I mean, they couldn't block him. He was just, he was out there just cooking Darisaw. And Darisaw is one of the best left tackles in the league, especially as a pass blocker. So Definitely an impressive day from Preston Smith. And then the other player that had a really nice day was a player that was starting because Jair Alexander was out, Corey Ballantyne. What a day from Corey Ballantyne. In 39 coverage snaps, he was targeted nine times and only gave up three receptions for 33 yards. Had one interception off that tip ball. You know, got to come down with it when the ball comes to you. You know, you could say the tip was a little bit fluky, but 
still got to go make that play. Um, among targeted players, he gave up a minuscule passer rating of 5.6 when targeted, significantly lower uh, than if the Vikings had just thrown the ball in the dirt, which would have been a 39.6 uh, passer rating when targeted. Had multiple pass breakups when the ball was targeted for Justin Jefferson. So it's like, he's going against one of the best receivers in the league. And it wasn't that matchup every single snap, but he more than held his own. And you could say, hey, has something to do with the quality of the quarterback that they were going against. Or at least the 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 way that the quarterback way Jaron Hall was playing on this day, at least. And sure, but I mean, we've seen quarterbacks that have also not been having great days, great seasons. Bryce Young throw for three hundred yards on this defense, so just a nice change of pace to you know make a quarterback who is maybe not quite at that level yet, like look like he's not quite at that level yet. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, some bad things though. Uh, another bad tackling game from the Packers. Green Bay was credited with 10 missed tackles per PFF uh, for a missed tackle percentage of 18 and a half. That's three straight games with double digit missed tackles and seven of nine. It's kind of something that's been flying under the radar is they have just been tackling really poorly. And that's definitely something to worry about going into this next game where you have some serious, you know, threats with the ball in their hand in Justin Fields, Khalil Herbert, Roshan Johnson, DJ Moore, some guys who will really, you know, punish you if you're not making tackles. And we'll talk all about that in the pregame pod. Um, Valentine, uh, Savage, and Eric Wilson each had two misses. Um, they really struggled. Eric Wilson in particular, I thought, was really struggling to tackle in this game. Uh, he, because he only played, you know, I guess he played about three quarters of the game, but he played less snaps than those other guys. And it's just going to be tough if he has to be the starting linebacker this coming week. I mean, he's a very good special teamer, but it's just there were a couple plays out there was like, okay, like let's, let's wrap up because we can't just hit him high because it's just not going to do it. Um, But for the most part, a pretty solid day from the defense. Uh, Yeah. And you know, anytime you allow just 10 points and those seven of those and seven of those points were just on a muffed punt, which we'll get to in a second. You can't say too much bad about the defense. They definitely held up their end of the bargain, forced two turnovers, something they had struggled to do for a large part of the season, had not been forcing turnovers, had been forcing turnovers at one of the lowest rates in the league. But, you know, good day from the defense. Not going to say, if we're going to call them out when they're not playing well, got to give them some praise when they are playing well. Um, Some things that made us think. um, If they're both healthy, should Isaiah McDuffie be starting over Devontae Campbell? Because... I McDuffie is honestly at times throughout this season looked better than Campbell. I would say this year McDuffie has looked better than Campbell against the run. Both have had their struggles in coverage. Um, I don't think either have been particularly good in coverage really at all. You can maybe argue McDuffie's been worse, but McDuffie has at least been making some nice plays behind the line of scrimmage in the run game and has been, I think, seeing the run game better in terms of being in the right gap, scraping across the line of scrimmage. We know Campbell's ceiling is higher. We've seen Campbell play at a first-team All-Pro level. But that was two years ago now. And I would say at least this season, and you know, uh, Campbell has talked about like on Twitter and specifically on Twitter about how he's been playing hurt and he doesn't feel like he's been given a fair evaluation because you know he's, he's doing the team a favor by playing hurt. So I guess... You know, that's just something that's kind of making me think. I'm not really sure which way or the other. And then the other is, what does the corner room look like going into next year? And next week even. Because, like we were saying, Ballantyne had a great game in this one. 
if Jair is active next week, which all it all looks like is he's going to be, and if he starts, which he probably will, Valentine probably is not going to play very much. I mean, we already saw Carrington Valentine when Stokes and Jair were active. He only got three snaps. And now Stokes is on IR, and he had really been struggling. And that's going to be something to keep an eye on going into next year. But you could make a very compelling case that this pass defense, this coverage, has looked the best when Valentine and Ballandine have been the starting corners. And that's something we're going to talk about in this pre in this preview coming up. And I'm going to bounce that question off my dad because I'm sure he has some thoughts on it as well. Wrapping up here, this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode because it is just me and it is a little bit late. Apologies once again. We were traveling for the holidays and with bouncing around and flights and driving and all that pizzazz, it was just going to be a little too hard to get a recording out earlier in this. But we did still want to give you our thoughts on the game because it was a very exciting game. I mean, you beat the crap out of your rivals in their house 33-10 to 10 on a primetime game on New Year's Eve. It's pretty exciting. But special teams... Still not great. Uh, I'm going to start with the good. I thought they covered kicks quite well in this game. Um, starting field position for Minnesota on kicks that were returned um, in chronological order. The 20-yard line, the 19-yard line, the 33-yard line, the 17-yard line, and the 23-yard line. And that's against Wanwu, who's a very good kick returner in his own right. So four of those five were worse than a touchback. We'll take that any day of the week. Now, you, you hope that they don't get it quite out all the way out to the 33-yard line. I believe it was a 37-yard return. He was returning quite a few of these from his own end zone. And if he wants to return them from his own end zone and not get them past the 20, we will shake his hand and say thank you. Uh, but yeah, so I thought the kick coverage was quite good against you know a pretty pretty good kick, return, uh, kick returner. Anders Carlson missed extra point, now up to five on the year. Now, if I remember correctly, one of those was blocked and one of those was a pretty poor snap. So you can give us some accident forgiveness on a few on those two, but you know, still would like to see him make them some extra points. Now, if you want to spin zone this and you want to put a positive spin on this, I will say he has not let misses affect him. So when he has missed a kick, he has not spiraled. He has usually bounced back and made the next one. Knock on wood, obviously. But there's at least that. He seems to have the right mental makeup for a kicker. Now, you can argue our other kickers may be more talented than him. He's a first-year kicker. And we talked about coming into the season, Bisaccia specifically, and your mileage may vary on Bisaccia as a special teams coordinator, in my opinion, as well. But talked about how they're going to ride it out with him, how rookie kickers, you know, aren't often given, you know, the level of leeway that maybe they should be, like other rookies at other positions. So... I guess we will see moving forward. It seems like, you know, they're going to ride it out and he's going to be their like kind of de facto kicker next year as well. But something to keep an eye on seems to struggle more with extra points than any other kick for some reason. And, you know, I guess if you're going to struggle with something, I guess, you know, make it the kicks that are worth one point as opposed to the kicks that are worth three points. So I guess that is what it is. Um, The real negative in this game, though, on special teams is that Samori Toure muffed punt. Number of questions. One, so so you can blame Toure, and it's fair, I think, to you know at least assign some of the blame to him. Um, you don't need a play there. Pretty much, you had been dominating the Vikings all game, and you kind of let them a little bit. You breathed some life back into them when you muffed that punt. But number one, uh, so Jaden Reed is injured, so he's not back there on punt returns. Okay. Why is Toure back there over Nixon is the first question for Basaccio. Why is he the one you're putting back there? If for some reason something comes out, you know, Nixon was hurt or Nixon, you know, got the wind knocked out of him. Okay, 
that's fine. But it didn't seem like that was the case. No one had said anything about that. No one has mentioned that. Why was Toure back there? Follow-up question, why was he told why was he not told to fair catch it no matter what? Pretty much the only way you can lose that game is by what happened there. Massive game swinging mistakes. A muffed punt that gives your ball gives your opponent the ball at the 10-yard line. That's the only way you lose the game at that point. So I don't know why Basachi is not telling him to fair catch it no matter what. Now, maybe he did. It's totally possible that he told him to fair catch it no matter what, and Toure didn't. It's certainly possible, but that has not been reported at all. So we can only assume that, you know, he told them just, you know, go out there and turn it, which if he did is an absolute mistake. That needs to be fair caught or maybe not even fielded at all. If you, if they end up with the ball to the five, they go run, run, run and punt. You're probably still going to, you're still going to win that game. You're up by a ton. You're crushing them. They have not really moved the ball well. They moved the ball better in the second half once they put Mullins in. But a muff punt is like the one thing you cannot have happen in this game. So more questions for the special teams. Not usually has not been a season of many answers for the special teams. And I think some of the struggles on defense have overshadowed that. We've talked about that. But that's something we're going to have to look at in the offseason and going forward is what's up with the special teams and do we want to continue on this path with the special teams? Wrapping up here, player of the game, last thing. I think you can only go with two players. I think you got to go Jordan Love, but honorable mention Bo Melton. I mean, very exciting for a second year, seventh round guy, 100 yards in his, it, the first 100 yard receiver of the season for the Packers. But Jordan Love, I mean, NFC Offensive Player of the Week just kicked so much butt in this game. We already talked about how well he played. We don't need to talk about it again, but he was just excellent. He was excellent in this game. He's he's the guy. He's the franchise guy. Sign him to an extension this offseason, and let's ride. Thank you so much for listening to this breakdown of the Packers' 33-10 to win over the Vikings on New Year's Eve. Sorry again that it's coming out so late, and sorry again that it's just me that you're stuck with. Um, but my dad will be back for the pregame for this next coming game against the Bears. This must win and in Week 18 matchup against the Chicago Bears in Lambeau Field. If you don't like that, you don't like football. I mean, I think it's going to be ex- super exciting. Lambeau Field in winter against a rival for a playoff spot. They're trying to knock us out. We're trying to punch our ticket. Packers could be the sixth or the seventh seed. We'll be giving you all those scenarios in the preview for this upcoming game. If you like what you heard here today, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. We tweet out when we have new articles out. Uh, when we have new, ep- sorry, when we <laughs> we tweet out when we have new episodes out. Articles we find interesting, stats we find interesting when we're doing research for these games. Um, we tweet out pieces of Packers roster moves, Packers injury news, et cetera, et cetera. One-stop shopping for everything Titletown. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We even put all our episodes out on YouTube as well. If you want to check us out there and subscribe, we would really appreciate it. It would really help our numbers. Thank you again for listening. Like I said, it'll be two of us again back for the preview later this week for that must-win game for the playoffs. My name is Tommy. I am not joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt, but I will be next time. And until next time, Go Pack Go!